You're listening to the Crew Talk Podcast, a conversation about chasing growth. All right, welcome back to the Crew Talk, episode 10. We finally made double digits, and on this episode, I got two of my boys, uh, one from high school, one from Yale. I got my boy, David. He's a, a regular on Vibesweet channel. This will be his second podcast, uh, a.k.a. Mr. Lieutenant in the Air Force, a.k.a. Mr. I'm Afraid of the Spiders. I'm glad he's on here. He has some good stuff to talk about. We also got my boy Travis, uh, Mr. PhD in the making, Mr. Steal Your mm. But yeah, so two, <laughs> two smart guys I know, and uh, I think they'll provide a lot of value on this episode. So I'm going to let them talk about themselves a little bit, get to know each other, and then we'll just jump right into it. Let's do it. You can go ahead, Trevor. Yeah, like Tim was saying, we knew each other since my freshman year in college. So that was probably, what, now, six years ago. Yeah. Uh, studied biomedical engineering. I'm starting my PhD in biomedical engineering in another month and a half. Excited to do it. So glad I could be here, share my thoughts, and uh, be part of this experience. Yep. What about you, Mr. Lieutenant? My father, let's see, I'm trying to... I, I don't mean to mess your stuff up, bro. I'm trying to get this, this lighting right. Hold yeah. up. Oh, here we go. All right, man. So, yeah, I'm um, I'm David. You know, uh, currently, you know, last time we spoke, I was stationed in Biloxi. Now I'm, uh, they put me in uh, Germany, so I'm just trying to get my footing out here. I'm at Ramstein Air Force Base out here. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know, this stuff kind of got me thinking about a lot, so um i was thinking about you know doing 20 years in the air force now i'm kind of questioning whether if i should leave early leave within five years and um literally become an activist like i've been playing around with the thought of being a politician a lawyer um so i just i kind of i just want to do right by our people you know i just want to make sure like i just want to i feel like we lack education in a lot of areas i just want to make sure like i can either help educate uh, lead guy, mentor, whatever I can do to kind of help because um, I'm kind of, I'm just tired of us, you know, being at the brunt of a lot of America's problems. So I feel like one of the topics that me and you had talked about off camera was the whole defunding the police situation and how that's beneficial and how it's almost kind of a bad idea. What are some of your thoughts on that? Uh, so when we talked last time, I was really gung ho on not defunding them because I kept my argument towards it was, was basically the money that they have. I feel like I, when I was thinking a few days ago was the problem isn't, um, it isn't the amount of money. I believe the problem is the allocation of the money. If you're constantly allocating like millions of dollars to militarizing them, then yes. Okay. That is a huge issue. But instead I think pressured them to, allocate them correctly. So instead of kind of what I told you was instead of, you know, having like a three to six month training, how about we pay more to have a 10 month training and then two months of literally shadowing, you have no weapon, you have nothing, you literally just shadowing a veteran cop um, or less. And like on top of that, let's also put money towards vetting these police officers, like having full on, cause before you get where they come from, um, like what kind of like like why they want to be an officer and kind of what qualifies them uh, instead of kind of because it, as it looks now you just kind of sign up go through a little training and then you get it but i think 
we need to like see, we're always talking about the word reform like we always hear oh, we need to reform the police officers we need to do this and that but in our the way our society is built it's not going to come for free like, we have to use taxpayer dollars to do it and it's like just like if your mom gives you money to go get groceries and you come back with a whole bunch of candy the, the money wasn't the problem it was how you use that money so right. i think if we we like use the money correctly then we can allocate it to the right things. However, what I've come to realize is we had that conversation with like three days ago, two days ago. Mm-hmm. The more I looked into it, the more I talked to my mother who um, is a who is a judge, so she's in that that world. And I've talked to white and black people who come from police families. I've realized that that is a utopic idea, right? Like that would be a great idea if we lived in this utopic society to where things were beautiful, things were grand. But I personally believe that I don't know what the solution will be. Mm-hmm. Um, that could possibly be one, but I think that I, I it sounds it it's sounds a, it's hard. A, it's a hard solution to like pinpoint one yeah, thing as a problem. Exactly, and it sounds for me personally, it's, it's more like like I want like I want to just say scrap it. I want to just say like scrap the whole system. Let's just start over. Mm-hmm. I guess to like the black in me, that's the power in me. I, I want to say that, but then the realist part of me is like that's not possible because yes, there are very racist cops. Yes, like we started off in a very dark time, uh, the police force. But then again, it's like because I understand people are saying, oh, let's scrap the police officers, but like let's build towards communities and pay them. But it's like okay, so what do we do about the people that actually are bad out there? Like, what do we do about the serial killers? What do we do about the rapists? Like the people that are actually committing this crime? Like, how do we, if we scrap the police officers, like how do we solve for that? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a, it's a tough topic. And kind of what I was saying before um, was also like this time, people, I don't know if they realize how important this time is to where we're in a situation to where we truly have the ear of America. Because think about it, and I related it to the other day. Drew Brees, if he would have said what he said three weeks ago, nobody would have had a problem. Like nobody, like people would have probably agreed with him and all that. But we're in a situation to where it is political suicide or like for businesses, it would be financial suicide to agree with a non-Black Lives Matters movement, right? Like yeah. you see Jeff Bezos coming out saying that, you see all these different people coming out agreeing with it and that shows you that like it, even if they don't believe it in their hearts politically this mm-hmm. is the move right now like this is the move it's to trending. be on black lives matters yeah exactly and that's yeah. what's going on so like that's why you see the the la mayor kind of saying like oh we, we well yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna take funds away from the police officers and give it to black communities he's not doing that because he truly wants to do that in his heart like he knows that in november it is an election mm-hmm. and it's not only a presidential election, it's something like you have congressmen and women coming up, you have state reps, you have mayors, like everybody's up for re-election. So I think we finally have the ear of the politicians and they're going to listen. They're going to do what we say. So my problem is I don't want us arguing about what's gonna be the move, like what should we do, what should we do until November? Cause I promise you right after November and December and on, nobody's gonna care. Like nobody's gonna go back to the status quo because you know, it's hot right now, and that's it's, it's people can gain something exactly. from being on on this side or on the other side. Exactly. So, like, and I kind of want to hear what Travis thinks about that because I haven't really heard his point of view. Yeah. I, like we just met, but I just I believe like if 
if we waste this time arguing or coming up with the like we just because i feel like we're coming up with problems like we're saying oh this is a problem we need to do this with this problem well i don't hear any real tangible solutions that we can actually do and I, right. maybe that comes from not having a full leader because i mean back in the 60s martin luther king was in the white house when they signed the civil rights act so maybe that's like kind of our downfall but we i feel like we need that one unifying voice saying this right here is what we need done and if you want to be reelected in november this is what you got to do in order to get that happen and if you don't you're not getting reelected. so i don't know that's kind of where my mindset is with that yeah yeah no i really like the idea of putting pressure on elected officials you said a bunch of things that i'm like sorry i was just like thinking about a lot a lot of the stuff that y'all were talking about um mm-hmm. Going back, like jumping back a little bit, just thinking about the police's budget in general. Like I'm from New York City, I'm a teacher. But for example, the NYPD has the third largest budget in New York City. It's something like six billion a year. And that's just like city funds. That's not like state or federal funding. Mm-hmm. The NYPD, if you rank them, they would be the 40th largest military in the world. Oh, the New York City Police Department would be yeah. the 40th largest military in the world. And that's not like that's big. There's a lot of countries with a lot of militaries. They're the, oh, they're the only police department to operate internationally because of the anti-terrorism task force, which people don't know. That's, the, what, NYPD, I was, that's what I was wondering. The NYPD has an office in London. It has one in Berlin. It has one in Paris. It has major offices across the globe for important reasons. I, and this was post 9-11. But something to think about, like, when people commit crime, like, the reason the police are necessary is because of a lack of education and opportunity. If the same resources were afforded to each community, there'd be much like a smaller need for police. Like a concrete example I can think about, um, the Department of Education had to cut their budget by like 24% for next year. Mm-hmm. The police's budget did not have to cut. I think they cut theirs like one to 2%, if that, because of the, like, the financial difficulties New York City is facing right now. Part of the things that got cut was New York Summer Youth Employment Program which gives kids like jobs over the summer. It gives city businesses money to literally pay students and children or like high schoolers to work over the summer. Like you don't have, it doesn't, you don't have to be a genius to see how these things kind of dilute and intersect with each other. So there are going to be more kids with less things to do, less money in their pocket, but the police are just as funded. And it applies to kind of, it's across the board. Schools are underfunded. Um, like hospitals are underfunded, healthcare is underfunded, everything is underfunded. All the things that make people do crimes are underfunded. But the one thing that's funded is the thing to arrest the people and keep them in jail. So when this people talk about system. so when people talk about defunding the police, it's not just about like it is important to catch criminals. I also want to point out the average like are for murders, forty percent of murderers get caught. Forty percent. So that's nine bit like depending on your city, billions a year to hit forty percent. Steph Curry hits 40% of his threes. What, like the billions of dollars that they are getting, I promise you, if their budgets were cut, it wouldn't affect much. It, it, the murder rate is not what's going to go up. Because it's not like they're catching murders at a particularly high clip. If you drop their budget and use that money instead of, like, I don't know, drug counseling services, like funded from hospitals, funded anything that took care of the homeless, funded something that took care of at risk youth. If you redirect that money to those places, it might not happen in a year or two, it might not happen in a decade or two, honestly. And that's speaking frankly, like it's not something that we're gonna like, oh wow, a year later the crime rate dropped and it's all hunky dory. I'm not like, 
I'm, I consider myself a realist, but this is something that decades down the line will have an effect. The yeah. same way it took us decades to get where we are, it's going to take time to find a solution. I do think the big solution is like, especially like looking at like conservatives are always talking about balancing the budget. Like you can't justify having literally your police departments in most cities be number one, two, or three in the things that you were spending your money on. That's crazy. Like, like and that shows you what you yeah. exactly shows you where you're, you're probably like like because we're America like we're big on like putting our money where our mouth is. Mm-hmm. That's what we care about. You care more about putting people in jail and getting them educated. And it's also it's like this very symbolism symbolism of it. Like yeah. they Charles, don't I got need a question that much for you. Money. Yeah. I, I got a question for you because like based upon what you're saying, so this is kind of like because I, I and I feel like there there is a split because what you say makes sense. But I feel like it, for, in my eyes, it only makes sense if every interaction with the police has been due to a crime. Like, yeah, okay, we understand that George Floyd got caught with a counterfeit bill. But it's like, how many times do you get put, like, even if the crime rate is, is, is dirt low, like really, really low, is that going to stop them from pulling people over and the stop? And I feel like, like, the, like a lot of things don't happen from an actual crime. So... Like, so the crime rate to me, yes, it matters, but at the same time, it doesn't because it's not like, like we, we unjustly kill murderers. It's like these are black men who have not really been doing anything wrong that are still at the, like, getting killed by these cops. So do you think the, like, the problem is, like, we're not funding these, these, these organizations or these communities to stop crime or we're not funding the training that's going to be necessary for these police officers not to keep killing innocent people? I think it's so that's a really good point. And like, think about this, how crazy it is. You're right. Police officers, like, maybe like, I don't know, I'm not, I don't know the statistics on this, but maybe like 20 to 25% of the calls they respond to actually needed police. Like it could be like a first responder, like it could use a paramedic or a counselor. My point in that is how crazy it is that we ask the people that have guns all the time to be the people who are responding to everything. The flip side of it is the part of the reason their budgets are so big is because we expect them to do this. They can't be trained. They, they, like you would, you would never expect a soldier to go handle like mild domestic dis, dis, disputes. You would never ask a soldier to kind of serve as child protective services. You would never ask a soldier to handle all these other things. In the same vein, our police do too much. The fire department handles fires. The police department should handle violent like drug related crimes. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be involved in everything. Part of the reason they're involved in everything is because that's the way we build them up to be. But now they need all the all this this huge bloated budget to do like 50 different things. And it's like hard on them. You're not gonna be good at your job if your job is to be able to literally go into a room and be ready for anything. That's crazy. Like you get a call, you go and there someone could be dying, someone could be shooting at you, someone could just be having a bad day, someone could have their cat stuck up a tree. But like the way I think part of the big thing, and there are actually some cities that have started doing this, having 911 calls funneled to the appropriate responders. That'd be example, great so, Like if you call 911 and if you're someone who's like, I'm really afraid I'm gonna hurt myself. I have a weapon, like I have a knife or something. They're gonna send the police. Nine times out of 10, you probably, the bad person probably didn't need the police. They needed a mental health counselor. Someone who could maybe go check on them physically or probably someone just to talk to on the phone and kind of talk them off that ledge. Uh-huh. But that's not what happens. That's not how our system is built. The first people that are going to respond are people with guns whose biggest piece of information in their mind is this person might have a weapon. 
and that is how they're going mm-hmm. to react. I think and that I think part of it is like they shouldn't be asked to do all that. And part of the thing that'll help with that is if we defund them and put more of the money in social services, it will kill a lot of birds with one stone. They literally won't have the resources to do I mean, all those we, things, and the other places will. Like I think that it's not it, the like, police is not just about pulling money out of the police. It is about building up the infrastructure know. surrounding them. It's not just like because they do fill a lot of voice and they, they perform a lot of roles. I think what we're saying is they shouldn't. I think that's important what you said about the, when people see the headline defund the police, they just automatically assume that police's salaries are going to get cut and they're not going to want to work for low, like low wages and things like that. When the whole defunding movement or like the system that they're thinking about implementing has to do with like reallocating funds that aren't needed. And I think like a balance between what both of y'all have said, one, investing in other systems, like programs to keep people off the streets, to allow them to have jobs, things like that, is definitely needed. But reallocating the money to train police officers to do their job the right way is definitely needed. And somehow developing a system like that where people are getting more um, specialized training so they can handle different situations better, I mean, it's you have to be an idiot to think that that's not needed wherever you are. That's true. And I think, but I think we have to, for me personally, I think we have to look at a permanent solution. And the reason why I say like that, because don't get me wrong, what y'all are saying sounds amazing, mm-hmm. but let's think about what y'all are saying, right? From a political standpoint, y'all are saying like, okay, take away the funds and give it to social programs or community programs like social services and different things that we can actually call them and then deal with that. That sounds like a really blue idea, correct? Like it's like a democratic type of idea um, to where you're, you're giving these you giving those funds to public services instead of the police. I feel like for me, example, for, for, for me personally, I think that a more permanent solution would be to, yeah, like, okay, they only have three to six months of training. So yes, they're not gonna be prepared for everything, but take this, like don't affect the budget, leave the budget the same and allocate it towards training and, and training them to do that. Because what my, what I will fear is you cut the funding for police officers and then you don't have any plan on saying, okay, if this funding were ever, would ever come back, we're going to train you guys more. Like, no, it's just mm-hmm. like you no, cut the that, funding. That's not what I'm saying. I like what you're saying. I definitely agree with that. I'm not saying completely cut it, but no, 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 no. no just, no, just watch, watch what I'm about to where I'm about to get to. Because what I'm saying is, you cut the funding, then the money you take, you give it to these social programs, mm-hmm. and like that only works realistically if it is a blue country at that time. If we have like a blue administration that wants to keep funding these social programs because it's like what, what you see when you have Democratic and Republican, when you have Republican um, like candidates or, or presidents and state reps and mayors, whatever, they always fund the militarized stuff. So like the money will always go to cops, uh, uh, the military and all that stuff. And when you have Democratic candidates or you know uh, representatives, it always goes to social services and you know programs like that. So my fear would be, okay, we do, do this for this election cycle. We say, okay, like let's give all the funding to these social programs. And as soon as we have another red, you know, run country, it all gets cut again. And we're back to square one. So I think my concern would just be like, and like we kind of find the middle ground to where, okay, we keep funding the police officers, but we tr- like we put that money to training them and doing that instead of like going back and forth. Because I think that's what we have. Because you see this in the military to where. Okay, when Obama was elected, the country got. I mean, and obviously I'm blue, so I love Obama, whatever. But like, when a uh, whenever a Democrat is in the office, the funding the funding for the military gets cut. But whenever Republicans in it, 
they cut like education and all these different things and they give it to the military. And I, I feel mean, like if you start, if th th there's yeah. always a, there's always a what if and like you could find holes in any solution because if you just strictly take the funding and allocate it to more training, once you once they see results, people might get like kind of lax and they might not enforce the however long training and they might start bringing it back if the precinct has so many like good ratings. You know what I mean? I also want to point out the chokehold that killed Eric Garner was outlawed, banned specifically in trainings. If you look at this, exactly. the statistics surrounding increased police training, there's like little to no correlation between more training and less like deaths in police custody. The thing about when I say like defunding the police, well, the way I envision it, you say something like their budget has to drop 3% every year for the next 10 years. I don't say like tomorrow, take all the money away from them. I do think though it's crazy that all like city budgets are being cut, but the police specifically always maintain their budget if and like maybe a mild decrease, usually an increase, while other but other things like education, health services always get cut. The other thing is, I think it's like, just as a mindset, you don't consider, like I just noticed it when the way you were talking, you don't consider the police a social service. You, do, you, do, you literally separated them. And that's crazy, because that's how we've convinced ourselves that police are. They are a social service. Like they need to be a social service, but we don't consider them that because of the way we fund them, because we treat them so much different than everything else. They're a social service. They are firefighters. They are sanitation workers. They are a social service. Their job is to protect and serve. If they are not doing that, their budget should be cut. And when they cut their budget, it's not like they have to fire cops. There are a lot of things that go into the budget that people don't think about. First of all, the amount of lawsuits um, in New York alone is a quarter billion a year or more in lawsuits that the NYPD settles out of taxpayer dollars. Of course, most of these are excessive force, like like things like that, then that's what they're paying out. They admit it, it's a, court, a little over a quarter billion every single year. That's money that money. we would probably get back if there was less stuff. The other side of it is that if we stop funding them so much, what they might think less to do is like, um, things like, I don't know if you think about like Breonna Taylor, maybe you don't have a SWAT team that executes no-knock warrants on the wrong house. Like maybe police departments can't afford to have, like every, like literally have a SWAT team on reserve to have AR-15s, flashbangs, riot gear. And Military stuff. stuff, dude. Military stuff, break into the wrong house. The boyfriend, they no-knock warrant didn't say anything. The boyfriend shoots. So they shoot back, they kill her and try to put the boyfriend in jail for attempted murder of a police officer because they broke in the wrong house and didn't execute a no-knock warrant. St. Louis just banned the execution of no-knock warrants. The amount of money that went goes into SWAT teams and literally the tanks, the Humvees, and all the things that NYPD and other police departments keep on rest is absurd. So that alone, like if we, if we drop the budget, it doesn't have to affect salaries. It doesn't even really have to affect the number of police officers. It can literally just affect their equipment. And that alone would, would be progress. Like, I, I don't I said, think anyone in St. Louis right now thinks, like, what happened is a good idea. And they literally just repeal no-knock warrants. Because if you think about a no-knock warrant, it seems great in theory, but it just puts citizens and the police officers' lives in jeopardy. If nine times out of ten a police officer knocks on a door and says, I'm a police officer, the person on the other side of the door, criminal or not, does not want to shoot a police officer. You break down someone's door and run in it and don't announce who you are, nine times out of ten the person on the other side is going to want problems. Yeah. I said this in the last podcast about how police officers are just, they just have like this 
unsaid ex- like exception that other career fields don't get. Like if doctors were practicing belligerently and like they were killing people and like you just know like, oh, if you're a black person, you go to this hospital for surgery, there's a chance you might die because they might not care. That hospital actions would be taken against that hospital and like that doctor would either lose his job, his license, or the program that he was a part of would lose funding. But if a police officer kills a black person, it's like, oh, he he feared for his life or the black guy's automatically a criminal. But if people thought about like affecting the system that the police officer was a part of, you'd have less of that. And then you also have to think about all the countries, hold on one second, all the countries whose police officers don't carry weapons and the amount of violent crimes that don't happen in those countries. It's just something to think about. No, for sure. And I think I've always said that, like, because I, I don't even think this is a funding issue when it comes to what I'm about to say. I think that there has to, that's why it's almost like you got to just blow it up and start over because the most, I was talking to my mom the other day. She said the single most powerful person in each like district or county, or whatever, is the DA. Yeah. Because, like, think about it. Like, people people assume, like, like when things happen, like, oh, my gosh, the jury just, like, like they, they were racist in the jury and all that. You got to think about it. My fear, and personally, my fear for what's about to happen with um, Ahmaud Aubrey's case is the DA wasn't that interested in arresting them in the first place. So if they're not arre- that interested in arresting them in the first place, how are they going to find it within themselves to like, try to put up a, a good enough case to where you alleviate all shadows of a doubt? And that's their job. So I personally think like that like, reform would start from there. But if the cops actually believe that they were going to get into some serious trouble, we wouldn't have this. Like, for example, you have like for the military, we follow, follow the UCMJ, which is basically like and one of the things if we ever go to war and shit and we start killing random people. I didn't mean to say that, that's where my fault. But we start killing like random people. We go to jail for the rest of our lives, no matter what we thought, like, oh, we were scared or like we were this and that because it's, it's like, it, we're, we're supposed to be higher than that. Like you, you like nobody's just supposed to be getting given an assault rifle or whatever. And like my bad or I was scared is not an excuse. But if I'm a cop, I can go to the hood, say I'm scared, kill somebody. Next thing you know, I, I may get fired, but I'm, I don't go to jail. So. Mm-hmm. I think the what stops anybody from doing anything is really like the punishment, right? Like that is that is why people stop. So if you feel as if you're not going to get punished, then the 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 I guess the self control kind of goes out the window because then you really you really aren't that interested in it. So I mean, how do we solve that? I really don't know, and that's why like I was playing with the thought of like maybe going to law school or something because the only way we stop that is by <laughs> Changing Being the law, in the system, dude. like we can do as much talking as we want, and we can like we can we can say all we want, we can march all we want. But if we are not the ones in power, if we are not the ones in the system, it does not matter. Because even though we have the ear of these elected officials in November, what happens when we don't have the ear anymore? Because we're not always going to have it. Like what happens when it's no longer cool to be on the like the Black Lives Matter side? Like what happens then? So, I I mean this. I don't want to be a pessimist, but it almost seems like the solution. You got to look at it from all angles with a situation like this. So you definitely need that perspective. And I think that even though like defunding police is like a huge topic right now, and like it looks like it's going to be the first thing to happen, what actually needs to happen first is like revamping the system and the political system 
about how police are held accountable. Because like how you said, if the punishment isn't that severe, then people aren't going to be scared to do whatever they want. So fixing that and changing that whole mindset might take a while, but knowing that if I kill somebody, regardless of I'm a police or a civilian, I might go to jail for the rest of my life. Needs to be on everyone's mind. Yeah, they um in New York they just repealed 50A, 50-A, which mm-hmm. is like it's a law. It was passed in um 76, I think. The intention of the law originally was so that police officers' private information couldn't be made public. Mm-hmm. So like you couldn't just figure out where the police officer and his family lived, because obviously that'd be terrible. I say his because it was 1976. Yeah. Today though, what the law has like it's gone to trial numerous times and courts have expe- like interpreted very broadly. So the reason why a lot of police records are confidential, like you can't get them, including like administrative trials for police officers. So police got accused of police brutality, had an internal trial, was found guilty. You don't know that. You never know that. You can't know that. The police is legally allowed not to tell you that. Which is wild. New York just Very. repealed it yesterday, but it's a law in a lot of states. Because I remember you talking about a, you, like David, you were mentioning accountability and like if you do something wrong, you have to be punished. I think that's the first big step. So when we talk about because you said like thinking about things that we can do, I think you guys are right. It does come legislatively in that respect. Like it's very, it's incredibly important to keep our police officers safe. Flip side of that, I should be able to know if they've done a good job, right? Yeah. Like I'm a teacher. I can't have a bad day and curse my students out. Like, I'll lose my job in one day. Like, that's all it takes, one bad day. And um, relatedly, I would yeah. like, and this is like a bigger thing. I do think we put our, our police officers in an interesting spot given our country's like, being such a big proponent of the Second Amendment because we're, we are one of the few countries where police officers can realistically worry like, anybody can have a have a gun on them anybody can have a grip on them and i do think like and i don't think this is going to be immediate but i think like down the road conversations that people are going to have to have is like our police are overly armed could you also make the argument that our citizenry is overly armed because if that's the case then then how 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 can you ask our police to go into situations where someone might have a gun if you're not willing to ensure that it's less likely that the citizen has a gun like if you're not going to have strictly gun law and that's it and i think that's what my brain's been on the last few years i think that's going to be the next step i think for now things like we should i should literally be able to see if this police officer has had like 30 abusive force complaints like there's no reason like if i if i go to a doctor i can figure out how many if i really wanted to i could find out how many botched surgeries a doctor has had i can find out like I can find out this information if I go on, I, I can review anything on Yelp. And I feel like police officers should be held to a higher standard. I also think there needs to be an independent body, like literally independent of the police department that reviews the police department complaint. It needs to be its own agency. Well, yeah, I mean, IA or, yeah, IA. Yeah, because they have, but, yeah. they have internal affairs yeah, in the IRB. Like, like they hate IA. IRB, and they hate IA. They hate internal affairs, for, for sure. Um, I want to pick as, back as off, they kind of should. Off one thing you said, you said that about like police having to worry if civilians have guns. To go back to like the more enforcement, more training, military they go into other countries and they know other people have guns and they still get the job done without killing civilians. So that that's uh, another reason to like emphasize uh, but, more but training. Also, but I think yeah, that's that's true, and I, I think because. 
And going along with kind of what both y'all saying, because I remember you mentioned, um, Tim, how other countries don't have, like their cops don't carry around weapons. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, military do go in other countries, but we're strapped, like, right? Like you, you don't you don't go in kind of empty handed. And I think for me, I personally, I'm like, I, it's weird because I was been thinking about this all week, but I, I did not make the connection with Travis said, like on how they really like citizens are strapped because I was talking to, I was at this um, this cafe the other day talking to this German and we were just conversing about everything going on. And then she said two things that struck me. First of all, she could not understand the concept of police brutality. Like, could not understand, like, like your police are actually killing each other. Like, I mean, killing people, like, like, they're literally supposed to protect. Like, genuinely couldn't understand it. But then also, she couldn't understand the fact that we have the Second Amendment right. So, like, she was like, I don't So, what do y'all need guns for? Like, what exactly do y'all, like, what do y'all, I mean, is it like the Wild Wild West still? Like, <laughs> what are y'all doing down there? And those two points are, are those two points are valid because it's like, like what? The, what do we need our weapons for? And, and like, what what are we holding on to the Second Amendment right for? Because I like when it came about, I understand why we had it because you really needed a gun to really survive in this country. But now it's like I don't really know. And then it's like it, it's crazy how you can like we get surprised when like damn y'all cops don't have guns. Like I can't believe y'all murder rate so low, or whatever. And then they're so surprised like wow like what do y'all need all these guns for? Like why are your cops literally killing everybody and it's it's just I think it's like a I think it's like a, a loop situation yeah, like it feeds off of itself for sure right like, like you, citizens want guns to protect, to protect themselves, themselves from each from other, other. And from, yeah and like and the other big thing in America is like to overthrow like authority that this that like oversteps its lines That's, so I think actually yeah. something we really good to talk to about is Tune because he's you know he's big on the second amendment I feel mm-hmm. like he'd like he, like for and his reasoning behind it is like I need to be able to protect myself from other people and protect myself from like officers or people who over like governments who overstep their bounds. So it was kind of wild that we're in this cycle. The officers need these guns to protect themselves from citizens who have guns. The citizens need the guns to protect themselves from other citizens and police officers who have guns. And I'm like, look, look, it's look a at sick cycle. Look at this. And pe- the people yeah. who wins are people who like who own prisons, people who are gun manufacturers. Like and the people who lose are the citizens who are dying for no reason. Yeah. And the citizens who mm-hmm. die by other citizens who get guns for no reason. And I get the, like I get the reason behind like, wow, anyone might have a gun. I need a gun to defend myself. But then look but like in a way you just kind of contribute to the problem. Because now there's one more gun among the citizenship that can get around. Most guns that are obtained illegally were legal at one point. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's sick when you think about it, especially like how you say you were talking to someone from another country who was like completely puzzled by the fact that this is going on. And like to us, it's like, like, yeah, it's like y'all see officers in the UK. Most of them just have batons. Most officers everywhere yeah. just have batons. Yeah, because the they know here, they, they're really chill, too. Like, and it's crazy because but the thing is, that's why I feel like there's no solution to it because I'm gonna be real with you. You say you contribute to the problem. I promise you, when I get back to the states, I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a pistol. And I, I'm gonna carry <laughs> and, it. And that, depending on where I live, like I'm gonna get one. For and but it's, it's one of those things to where it's like, like oh, put your gun down. No, you put your gun down first. Like I'm like if if you tell me to de on myself, I want you to de on yourself. So I feel like yeah. it like the and, and, I, and to to kind of play the devil's advocate, I can see why the cops are so strapped because it's like. When they go into these neighborhoods, they are people are scared of them just as much as they're scared of each other. So like, it's like it's 
you can't tell the officers to not arm themselves when they're going into armed environments. But then again, it's like, you can't tell the citizens to not arm themselves because the cops are really armed. So it's like, it's one of those things where you just got to come together and say, all right, everybody put their gun down, which is again, a utopic idea, which will not like, happen. I think it's tough because if this, if we had these discussions, obviously unrealistic, but if we had these discussions, you know, around the table when we were making the constitution or like like way in the beginning of our roots, then yeah, we can like, we could try to change something, but I think because it is so just embedded with our, in that, within American DNA to mm-hmm. like racism, gun ownership, all these things are embedded to where like, you, you, you have to, at this point, everything's so tainted and corrupt to where you have to throw it all away and restart. But is that going to happen? No, because it's not realistic. So it's like, are we just putting, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you've been in New Orleans, Travis, but like, all the roads are messed up and instead of repaving it, they just keep putting tar on top of it. And then <laughs> it'll be good. It'll be good for a second, but then they yeah, all get messed again. up again. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah, like, yeah. cause, cause it, it's going to be too much money, too much of a, of a rebuild. And like, I think like we, it's also one of those things to where we can't rebuild, right? Because America is the greatest country in the world. So if the greatest country in the world has to go through an entire government rebuild, do we lose all our credibility and don't we make ourselves vulnerable at that point? So it's, it, it goes into so many, like you try to open one scab or fix one thing, a whole bunch of different issues come up. So I, I think that's why, that, I, again, I'm not trying to be a pessimist, but that shit is just, it's hard. No, that's real. I think something to think about though on the flip side of it, America's like 250 years old, right? It's like, it, we, we're not an old country yeah. at all. Compared to most countries, granted there were people who were here before Europeans out here, but we're not even going to touch on that today. <laughs> but literally, like, we're a young country, so not just, like, the pessimism is real, and I feel you. Like, I feel like it's the same stuff every 50 years, wash and repeat. But on the flip side of it, it's like, we're a young country. We have, we've done a lot we of can't hide behind We've that done a lot of good. We can't, you're right, we can't, but I'm saying, like, you don't have to feel like the little steps we take every single day or every single year are, like, kind of meaningless. Well, for me, anyway, just I'm thinking about the fact that, like, any progress is progress. Yeah, that, that's true to an extent, though, because the way I look at it and and I've thought this way before I got to Germany, too. But like, think of, like think about Germany. They literally arguably was at the center of World War Two and War One. And we already know the atrocities that happened during the Holocaust. And right after World War Two, once they rebuilt and did, did everything they had to do, it is not illegal to wave the Nazi flag. It is illegal to say anything about it negatively. Like it is, like they, the government shut it down for the Congo after the, the day, you could even argue that they're still in the beginning stages. After, um, after their, not the Congo, Rwanda, after their genocide, it is now illegal to say anything about it. If you say something, anything about it negatively, you go to jail for 10 years. Obviously that's harsh, we did that in America, but it's like, we see all these different countries making it highly illegal to basically applaud and represent like like for example our confederate flag is it's high i mean it's legal to do that like you wave it you do whatever and i understand that falls under our freedom of speech but it's like everybody acknowledge it seems like a lot of different countries say you know what we did this and it was awful belgium they had king leopold who did awful things to the congo they acknowledge it they acknowledge that all these different countries acknowledge yeah, we were messed up, and this is what we did to make it beautiful. Now, you know Whereas what I think. We kind of 
I think the difference between like the places that you're naming in America is that, for example, Germany, it was a dictatorship. Like people didn't choose, like they, they, they didn't have the right to vote on what Hitler did or not. In America, a huge amount of people are, are pushing for this stuff that's affecting black people negatively. Like Trump didn't just walk up to the White House and like take over and be like, I'm just going to do this. No one can say this. People chose for him and knew what kind of stuff he was about. So I feel like the freedoms that we have in America is a huge part of the downfall that minorities and other people are experiencing. So it's hard to com- to compare situations like that. Yeah, it's still, I mean, it's like we, I mean, and I, uh, this mindset can change in November, but we're a democracy, but how much do we really choose? Like, what, what do we actually like choose? I mean, because... Like Trump, because if you want to, if you really want to be technical, Trump basically did walk into the White House. Like he had, who stopped him? Like, did we stop him? Because I think we, the stat was less than 50% of us actually went out and voted. So I think if we use democracy to our advantage, we can actually change some stuff. But also, Keyword, when we do try to change stuff. But not only that, like, okay, the people, we do have the power to vote on things. But also it's like, for things to actually change, it has to get past the two-party system. And as we see, if we have a Democratic president, the Republicans are not going to let stuff get passed. If we let the Republican, I mean, if the Republicans say something, the Democrats aren't going to let it get passed. So it's like. That's, that's my point. There's this, like, it's not like everyone's on the same page and, like, this bad shit's happening and everyone doesn't want it. There's a group of people who, like, don't care and are being empowered by this bad stuff happening. So, like, there is, there is a choice there. If there was only one party and this was happening, then you'd be like, okay, yeah, we need to, like, do something and everyone come together and fix this but it's like we're fighting the person up top and the party who voted for them not saying it's democrat or republican but like the person up top who's fun like fueling all of this was put there by a group of people who like don't care or would like to see this stuff happen but i think my i think my point i guess with this okay yeah i understand like what you're saying like they all have these one party systems to it, like they can easily say, okay, if you talk about the Nazis, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. But it's like, like, wouldn't you think that with our like history, like even because it's deeper than politics, right? Like these, so we, cause everybody acknowledge, and I think we want to get past the politics. Everybody acknowledges the problem. Everybody acknowledges, yeah, King Leopold did this, or we had this mass genocide or like the Nazis, like we had the Holocaust. Everybody acknowledges it. But for us, we try to glorify or make it like less destructive than what it is. When these, when Georgia Pacific and different types of textbook companies were trying to put the real black history in these books, white school systems all across the country said, if you do this, we will not buy the books from you. Like you will lose our contract. So what do they do? They whitewashed the history and basically colored it in and say like, okay, basically, you know, black people marched, then they had Martin Luther King sat on the bus with Rosa Parks, and then they were all free. But you missed the lynching. You missed the the complete blue police brutality. So I think for me, it's bigger than politics. It is the culture that our country has, has created of basically the forget it culture. Like, okay, like y'all went through this. Y'all are good now. Like, damn, you're not a slave right now. You should be good. Like, and I think that's where we start. And I, I say where we start, where like, it, like it's a simple thing, but you like, we need, certain institutional things to completely change and it starts with the education system it starts with different things like that because i'm telling you if you open up any history book it will not show the actual true history of what we have gone through within this country 
like a big loop time. Imagine if instead of all the money we gave to the police, like we took in New York half a billion of their six billion, half a billion to invest in better teachers, independent textbook companies, so we could charge more for better textbooks that were ha accurate history for the predominantly like black and brown students in New York City. I'm just like it. You're right. It all does tie together. And um, but I do like something you said. Wait, is that money thing though? I think our country it, runs it on probably, money, dude. It is a money thing. Like no, no, so, no, that. But I'm saying. Oh, I know. Like, I actually were saying in places like the South, but like. You're right. It is a cultural thing that like they want to choose a certain type of history. They want to remember things a certain type of yeah. way. On the flip side, though, I will say I went to a private school. And I remember in high school, my one of the first things one of my um, history teachers told me was like the Civil War was about slavery. Don't ever let anyone tell you anything else. This was a white lady. She said the Civil War was about slavery. The Confederate flag is racist. Don't let anybody tell you what anything less. I was like, damn. Where did you go like, to that? Uh, it's a private school in New York City. New York, okay. Yeah, and she, she, she was like, "Look," yeah, and she like the way they taught the history class is called constructing America. It was a year long history and English class, and they talked about America from like its inception to modernity. So we read all the founding texts from the founding fathers, and they were talking about the fact they talked. We talked about the Three Fifths Compromise for like two weeks, and they were like, "Isn't that kind of crazy?" And the reason I bring that back is like, um, there's this good quote. I can't remember who said it, but he said, um. He said, the United States is a one-party state, but with typical American extravagance, they have two of them. And what he meant by that is, like, mm. the things we debate in America that's, are that's, not... That's, the that's arguments we have in America are not extreme anywhere else. Any other country, like, would not be having a debate about whether or not the Confederate flag is a symbol of the low-key, high-key, racist southern states wanted to keep slavery. Like how the David actual, said, like general of the actual civil war for the South said it, the biggest concern of us is slavery. And people today are like, it wasn't about slavery, it was about Southern private heritage. And this like, would not be happening in anywhere else. My fault. Go ahead, boss. It's okay. But no, think about it, though. It's, it's <laughs> oh, deeper. Okay. No, you about to cut it. you I, off, too, King. <laughs> oh, wait, real quick. I just want to say something. It's, it's small. It's small. Just like how David said about, like, mm -hmm. in Germany, if you mention not, like, Nazism or anything about that time, you're in trouble. But in America, if you want to wave a Nazi flag, it's okay because you have that freedom. I can go join the Klan today if I felt like it. And that's they'll let you in, but you have the right to do it. They won't let me in, but I could. But, but think, I could think about and think about this kind of what you find important. I, what you said was the teacher said it was about racism or slavery, but then like other white people say it's not. But that also goes into the I think one of the biggest problems America has, and I learned it from reading the New Jim Crow and like looking at these other books is who really is a proponent of the confederate flag and who really is like a proponent of of the confederates and all that poor white americans correct and i mean not trying to generalize but like that's kind of the main from what i see in the south and my thing is it's the the construction of america and i don't know if this is gonna be too controversial if you oppose tim but like the the way I, i've always seen it is in the beginning of our of our time you have the slave owners, right? The rich, like the rich white Americans, mm -hmm. they 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 influence poor white Americans, who basically on the if on the same they we were always viewed as the same. Blacks and poor whites were always looked at as the same in the eyes of, of rich white Americans, but they always play on this fear, like oh the slaves, like when they're free, they're gonna take over your jobs, or when they when they um like when they they're gonna come in your villages or your homes and rape you and kill you. So they played on it. 
and created a fear within poor white Americans and basically said, oh, this isn't about slavery. This is about your freedom. Like this is as a Southern white, this is your freedom. And that, I like that, that voice you used. Grown. <laughs> you said what? I like that voice you just used. <laughs> yeah, shit, you know, but like, it's just, it's literally like, that's, that's what's happened. So it's like, it's almost like you, you can't, I mean, you can blame them, but at the same time, it's like, it's been ingrained. Your grandfather knew this, like, it's usually statistically showing if you're poor in the South, you've been poor for generations. Like, that's kind of like what it's saying, if you're white or black. So yeah. what I've seen is just like, like this Southern pride thing, this, this, oh yeah, you, I'm not, I don't wave this because I'm, I'm racist. I wave this because I'm pride in the South. How did you become proud, like Southern pride? Like, where did that come from? Because poor white people had nothing in this country, just like us. But the most important thing that rich white Americans gave them that wasn't materialistic was the idea that they were more important than we were. Like the idea that, think about it, if you are, if you are, are you feel like you're in the classroom and everybody's picking on you and then some new kid comes into class and they start picking on him, you're going to join in because you feel like, well, you know what, like I'm no longer the lowest one anymore. So I think that's kind of what's happened. And you see that now in politics. I can't in the military, I can't say any names, but you kind of see like, like what's gonna be going on right now. We're playing yeah. on the fear that, like that the minority will take over, and that's always been a fear. So I don't necessarily think it's like, like oh, we're trying to hide the fact that, you know, slavery didn't happen. I think people genuinely like believe that it's not racist to wave the flag. Like I, they believe that, like or okay, they might believe it's racist, but they believe that blacks are genuinely lower when, if you think about it, it's like the rich white man keeps getting richer and richer and richer off of us quarreling. And I think that's one thing that a lot of poor white Americans have yet to see. So. This is, that's deep. And we could go on for hours, but I don't want to tire the people out who are listening to this. I, I really appreciate y'all giving y'all's opinions from two different perspectives. A guy in the military in Germany, a black guy in New York who's a teacher. I really appreciate y'all being on here. Thanks for having us. I appreciate Thanks for having us, man. So that was real. Cool. Like I appreciate, like, I appreciate talking to Travis too, man. Like it's always yeah, good no. to hear somebody like else. Not for sure. I appreciate you, David. All right, y'all. This is Crew Talk, episode ten. I'm Tim. I'm Travis, and that's um, David. David. We'll catch y'all in the next one. <laughs> All right, catch y'all.